than a gaggle of geese. More fun than a room full of wombats. Able to reach huge audiences with a single broadcast. Yes, it's the Outdoor Journal Radio Show. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Outdoor Journal Radio. Well, hello there. Thank you for joining us once again, Outdoor Journal Radio, the podcast. Uh, I'm Angela Biola. He is Peter Bowman. Howdy. Uh, the rest of the cast, you know, of uh, Nick. Oh, Nick. Wow. I'm used to seeing an Ooh, empty chair there. They, uh, they always uh, hear Dean. about Nick. They don't Come know. Come on yeah. now. And Dean. Uh, I'm a little uh, uh, poopy today. Poopy? Yeah, I'm a little. I'm dragging. I'm dragging today. I uh, got in at you three. Don't, don't have enough holidays? You didn't have enough of holidays? Holidays. Holidays. Man, you guys with the holidays. <laughs> Good God almighty. Um, I had a. Just a horrific day yesterday. We'll talk about it in a moment. I flew. Yeah, I want to hear. I about attempted this. to fly back from Orlando, and uh, got in. Uh, and I was supposed to be home by nine thirty. Yesterday last morning. night. Oh, morning. No, yesterday morning. morning. Okay, nine thirty. I had plans. Ready for, for your my full day? Things. Yeah, exactly. I, had plans. I arrived uh, to my bed this morning at. I got in bed at 3.45. I got home at 3 oh, this morning. Oh, my. I, uh, and you guys are no strangers, uh, both uh, uh, Dean, you, and, and Nick. Uh, last year, we were in Orlando, ironically, yeah. Orlando again. And didn't we have something similar to that? Yeah, we were eight hours at least. Eight I hours. Think, yeah. Well, I was 16 yesterday. <laughs> oh, my God. So there God. you go. 16 hours and I want to talk about that, but get, first, let me just uh, because I I do not I I don't understand how this happens today, twenty twenty four. The year is twenty twenty four. I don't get it. I do. I don't. But okay, I got to hear this. I I can't wait to hear this. So let's <sighs> let's do all our right, uh, due so, diligence uh, here. First of all, uh, hopefully you're all enjoying the new season of the Fishing Canada Show on Global uh, Television Network and on Sportsman's Channel and on WFN and everywhere else that you consume the Fishing Canada Show. Uh, hoping that you are enjoying the new episodes as much as we uh, are. I can tell you. Uh, they are beauties. Finally, I saw a ep- uh, comment from a dude from Edmonton. Finally, new episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was happy just to see new stuff, but yeah. didn't, didn't say how good they were. He just said, finally, new episodes. So well, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he likes them. Good. We did our best. We yeah. always do our best. We That's always do our best, folks. Sometimes it's maybe not the prettiest, but it's it's pretty. You know? Fishing Canada, the store, the winter sale is on. I know that a lot of our winter goods aren't even up yet, but uh, we will attempt to have all of our winter goods and put the. We're going to put them directly on sale. Like we're not even. Wow. We're not going to. We're not even going to go and collect our two hundred dollars for going uh, passing go. Yeah. yeah. We're just going to go directly from the box to the sale. Yeah, you're getting a lot of our, our, uh, our people. Our people. Over there. Uh, our people uh, are so busy. Our people are so busy that they can't put the stuff up. So we're going to probably have all of our I winter you. goods. I see uh, where you're going. Okay. We'll have all of our winter goods up hopefully by spring, and they will go directly on sale. <laughs> I'm predicting. Is there, that. Can you give me a little teaser as to what's like what's cool in the winter world? Oh, Fishing we got uh, we got all kinds of wonderful toques. We got all kinds of wonderful uh, outerwear, layered wear. We got all kinds of bags. We got like there's such wonderful winter goods in okay. uh, in uh, coming up. But like I say, we'll probably have them up in the spring, and they'll for that benefit to you because you'll be able to buy them on sale it's right from the get go. Angelo's going to need the money. He's going right. to that's it. I, I got to sell them below cost, and let's get exactly. this stuff out of here. Exactly. You know, so it's a win win for everybody except me. That's right. 
Uh, <laughs> listener feedback, Mr. Bowman. Listener feedback yes. from Damien Dunford, at Damien Dunford, sorry, uh, via YouTube. Uh, is in response to our discussion on Zone 10 regulations. So we talked oh, about yes. those uh, changes not that long, about one or two podcasts ago, Dean? Two shows ago now, two I think. Two shows ago, yeah. Uh, he says, i.e., it is now illegal to take pictures of big walleye since no fish over 18 inches could be legally kept. Yeah. That's what his first point was. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, I suppose he's right, technically. Okay, it's but first the, off, it's not illegal to take pictures. Exactly. That's the mistake that people are making, folks. But in order to take a picture, you need to delay the release. It's in, it's illegal to delay the release of any fish, in this case, over 18 inches. In any case, of well, uh, you know. But it's it, six of one, half a dozen of another. What you're saying is is true, but and, and what Damien is saying is true. Yeah. Based on the current laws, if they haven't changed... Uh, since we last looked at they them, they have not, as we know, as far All as we right. know. So it is illegal to take the fish out of its environment for a longer period of time than is required. Correct. And correct requirement in this case would be taking a picture. Is it required? For you to take a picture right. of that fish? Exactly. I mean, I see you posting these big fish all over the place. Is it important that you do that? Depends if it's got well, a. No, that's uh, what he's saying. A, you know? a sponsored product in there somewhere, oh, maybe you know something like money, that might money, help us. Money helps you. Might help us. Money. Us. Okay. All right. Us. All right. Us. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Tennis be straight. Now, so. now, let me very quickly go on to this. There's nothing stopping you from taking a picture of your buddy. Pulling that fish in, doing his little stuff, and releasing his fish. You can get some good snaps doing that in their action shots. That's not illegal at all. Right. Right? Because you're not delaying the release. He's not delaying the release. You're just taking pictures of your buddy catching and releasing a fish. But That's would, what you need to do. But they would all all, all have to be like professionals and, and, and lightning fast like our very own Volva. Oh, no, no. Volva's an exception to the rule. Who is continually capturing those special moments because he's he, an exception. He's, way, he's ahead of the fish. Have you seen the phones nowadays? He's ahead These of things the are fish. ridiculous. The phone, that's what everybody's using. There's hardly ever a DSLR in the boat anymore. These guys are using phones, guys and girls using phones, and it, literally you push that button. It's like, oh my God. And there's some pretty good pictures coming out of that stuff. You can right. do it. So you can do it. You can do it. All right. So, anyways, and Damien goes on. To say, I want to start by saying I absolutely love you guys in the show. I even watched you boys on TV way back in the day every oh weekend, boy. Angela. <laughs> we, we always love oh hearing boy. that. Oh but I have to play devil's advocate uh, on the accidental illegal catch topic. We as anglers are out there for the most part for one reason, and that's to catch the biggest fish of the species we are all out for. So when you catch a monster fish purposefully or accidentally, you want to be able to re- relive the memories again later in, in time with a simple picture. Mm-hmm. Catch and release has come so far in the last decade, as well as technology for taking photos. That's what we just said. We had all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you guys are on the side of agreeing you shouldn't be taking pictures, we, I don't think we said that. Did we ever say that? <laughs> I think we said it's technically against the law. We, said, we, right. never said we didn't say we were in agreement, agreement of, okay. or not of it, because Angelo just said, is it important for me to take a picture of the fish? I like getting pictures of fish. It's great, right? Oh, you know, <laughs> what are you laughing at? You <laughs> shouldn't it. you guys follow the same guidelines, not as to add, uh, add these illegal fish to the cot on the show or filming. Um, if so, so, so he's calling you a hypocrite is what the man's calling did you. He, if he watched episode one this year, you'd see exactly what we did in that show. And it's yeah. exactly what you're supposed to do. I would recommend you go to YouTube and look for Fishing Canada. What was that episode called, Dean? Episode one? 
It was called that's right Early Season Esox. Early Season Esox, and that's yeah. right there. Is one of the things we did right there. We did not put that muskie, and it was a week away, less than a week away opening day, and we said, okay, let's just do it If I remember correctly, right uh, Jim jumped right in the water and uh, facilitated. Uh, Jim, well, he was afraid of Marlon, the fish. Marlon was is, uh, in the studio. Jim was a little afraid. Say, <laughs> Jim, Jim is going to attack this. Jim's so uh, afraid of that fish, he used long pliers, as you can see. He didn't even use the regular. He say, I'm staying away from that fish. <laughs> that was a great, uh, I watched that. Uh, yeah, it was funny, it was eh? funny as yeah, hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's you that, did. That's what you sounded like. Yeah. You know, Jim is going to release this Angela fish. And now, the boat. Yeah, I got to explain it. I want him to explain to people. And the same with that smallmouth <laughs> caught in there i want to explain what yeah. you know what the the reality is we all get caught up in things like that and, sure. and you know what we've i know i've done because angelo i've done it where i've said you know i've oh my god this is a great fish and then you find out later wait a second that fish should have been immediately released i've done that i've been guilty of it too but we're trying our best not to do that anymore and show people the way we're doing it so we're not in, in favor of not taking pictures here damien let's let's, let's yeah. get it right yeah. we are anglers here you know what i mean we get it we know what it's all about and we and we love that Great big fish catch. It's cool. And you want to show somebody? Absolutely. I get that. You know what I mean? We've, I've got a muskie that I killed years and years and years ago in the 70s. It was a 48-inch muskie. I got that mounted. You know what I mean? I, do I regret it? Yeah, I do. Kind of now. But uh, I learned that was the only big fish I got mounted out of that. So, you know, we, we get that. You want to show these fish off. So. I, I, one of the reasons that we do it, because, because obviously that's the question that's being asked. The reason that in episode one, uh, of this year's season, we kept those fish in because we very easily could have just cut that out of the show. Exactly, but we kept them in there so that we could start this dialogue, so that we could explain to you what to do and what not to do. Very honestly, it would have been easier for us just to cut that whole sequence with the muskie out mm. or the smallmouth bass. Yeah, out. absolutely. But we felt it was important that we talk to you about that. We're making because, a point, hey, right? Yeah. And it's a big it's a big issue right yeah, now. It's yeah. a huge issue right now. So that's why they're in there. I like the way Volvo's got us lit there. He's got you nice and bright and me. I'm almost like a You're always almost in the dark. Scene, you got to you know yeah, what I mean? I know. I know. Lean lean into There you go. There you go. I know there you go. Lean into it, Peter. Lean into it. Radio podcast. Move your mic forward. Lean into it. Get in oh, there. Yeah, there you go. That's How you what, doing? That's what I'm talking yeah, about. I like better when I'm back in. Well, because the then you're in the shadows. In the shadows. You're in the shadows. What's that movie? That TV uh, show? Uh, uh, the vampires. Something. The what shadows. we do in the shadows. What we do in the shadows. It's good. Wow. It's pretty good. I like that one. Yeah, like it's that? good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, All right. Do you want to read Fox Fishing's response to Damien? Sure. Sure. Fox Fishing uh, 4K in response to to Damien. Uh, who just uh, sent the, who sent that lovely comment. Uh, he's saying, I think it is good that they show catches that happen even when the species was not targeted and are out of season. So basically what I just, I didn't exactly. even know. We had, I didn't even know we had a fox. You're clairvoyant. Response. I'm, uh, I am that, every bit of that. I'll show you in a couple of minutes how clairvoyant I am. Um, that happened when the species were not out of season. Uh, uh, that's something that will happen to all of us as anglers at one point or another. The proper treatment and immediate release should be shown and explained to the public. Uh, cutting those catches out altogether removes the possibility of learning. Well, and that was very well put, Fox Thanks, Fishing, Fox Fishing 4K. Uh, 4K. Appreciate awesome. that. Thank you for that. But a lot of times you'll see things in the fishing cache, you, you wonder, well, how come? It was there by, by, by design. design, not yeah. by accident. We put them in there uh, as an opportunity, mm -hmm. and that's what that was. 
So thank you for both for everybody that comments. Now, can I can I tell you about my day yesterday? I, I am waiting. I am so first of all, I want to open this shirt up. What? And I believe that this shirt uh, is going to be, <laughs> if not already, on the uh, store site for sale. Shop.fishingcanada.com. By the way, by the way, I got to tell you something. I brought these down with me last week. I went to uh, Mecham uh, Car Auction in Kissimmee. Mm-hmm. And um, my good buddy, Steve Nedzwicky, co-host of the Fishing Canada Show and host of, uh, what's he host of? He's doing a podcast Dolo. with us. Dolo, that's it. I keep Dolo. forgetting. Dolo, he hates that. <laughs> he hates it with a passion. Uh, Diaries of a Lodge Owner podcast uh, on uh, the Outdoor Journal Radio Network. And I got to tell you, he does such a great He's job. He's good. He's good. But I had an opportunity to spend uh, several days with him this week down in, uh, in Kissimmee. And him and I wore... These around at the auction at the auction. I got to tell you, they were a huge. They hit. loved it. Uh, a huge hit. That's awesome. We met more people because of this shirt. Oh, that's uh, that's fantastic. So, anyways, one guy said the only problem I I don't like about he says you don't have it on the back. You should have it front and back. He's so probably anyways. right for showing it off. You're you're right. Yeah. That was the fun part. I got to tell you about the bullshit part. And that's why I wanted to open this up and uh, let you see this. Because it is a bunch of bullshit what happened to me yesterday. Should not happen to anybody. But unfortunately, from uh, all accounts, uh, the people I spoke to, it happens on a very frequent and uh, increasingly more frequent basis. Now, uh, I'm talking about not necessarily just an international flight. My first pet peeve is this. How can you run, and I don't care if the business is an airline or whether it's used tires or whether you sell condoms. I don't really give a shit. I just want to know, how can you run a business where you promise your customer something, you take the money, Mm -hmm. and then as soon as you have the money, you renege on your promise and then say, hey, 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 (laughs) did you read the fine print? Did you read the fine print? Well, uh, if you had to read the fine print, you'll see that I'm responsible for zero. Zero. I don't need to give you anything. Once I get your money, I'm good to go. That's how the airlines conduct business nowadays. Is there a name in particular or is it just everybody in general? You want <laughs> to? Well, okay. First of all, I, I wanted to, before we go much deeper into this, last year, uh, Nick and Dean, correct me if I'm wrong, we had a very similar experience that I had yesterday. Uh, coming from, ironically, from Orlando, we were at the ICAST show. And were we not, I don't know, six, seven hours, eight hours delayed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think our flight was supposed to be at like 8 a.m. or something. Yeah, and then we got de- we got delayed the night before till like two o'clock, then another one to to later. Right, and that's the point I wanted to make. So this 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 is not new. I, I've probably on this very podcast bitched and complained about Air Canada because they can't seem to get it right at all. Well, this is not Air Canada yet. It, Air Canada comes into this story a little later on. Right oh, now, oh, right, no. now <laughs> right now, it's WestJet who <laughs> seems to, in the last two years, uh, they are Air Canada light. Really? Eh? Yeah. Wow. Yesterday, they weren't light. They were full on Air Canada. Wow. So let me tell you what happened. And maybe you can, maybe you can c- 
critique me, baby. Maybe I'm wrong. No, because I already, I, I, we've had enough experiences together flying too so, that we're not real happy. With so I'm supposed to leave at 7 a.m. at the Orlando airport. My flight's at 7 a.m. You're up nice and early, obviously. I need to be there three hours in advance. Yep. I got that whole deal going on. So I'm ready to go to bed at 4 o'clock on uh, Saturday. Saturday right. evening, right? right? Bags are packed. Yeah. 4 a.m., we're out of here. Yeah. So I'm it's like ready to duck go. hunting time. Exactly. Like, like, I don't even <laughs> get people get up that early as duck hunters, right? So as you guys remember, we got a late night uh, notice from WestJet yep. last year uh, saying, oops, your flight's been delayed. It's now going to leave. I don't remember the times, but, you know, instead of nine o'clock, it's not going to leave at 11 o'clock or something like that. Sault Ste. Marie with you and I this year. Sault Ste. Marie. Same. <laughs> we spent the whole day in the Sioux. Exactly. At the airport. At the airport. And <laughs> if you know the Sault Ste. Marie airport, it's I, God bless you folks in Sault Ste. Marie. But ain't you know, exactly a wonderful airport that I want to spend time in. We spent the whole day there. Anyways. So at about three o'clock. That Saturday, this past Saturday, I'm thinking, boy, it's weird. We have no notification from WestJet about our flight. Because normally they'll say, hey, your flight's on schedule, or more often not, hey, your flight's canceled, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I got no, so I called the Countess, my lovely wife, the Countess, and said, hey, I haven't gotten anything from WestJet. Oh, she says, yeah, yeah, no, they just sent me one. uh, I'll send it off to you. And as she's doing it, she's, oh, oh, your flight's been delayed to 10.30. I said, there's a surprise. All right, send it to me. So I get it, and I'd open it up, and, you know. Had you left the hotel yet, or no? Are you still, no, I'm still, still, this is Saturday. Oh, this is the night, this is the Saturday. Okay. This is Saturday. Remember I said I was going to go to bed at, okay, four, at four, 4 o'clock yeah. Saturday afternoon, so I could get up Sunday morning. Yeah. Well, we're, Steve and I are getting ready. And, we're, I, and so anyway, so I look at this thing, and it says, you know, important flight information for your flight tomorrow. And you scroll, first thing is, flight's delayed, 10.30. Gotcha, gotcha. Now you get some sleep in time. So I didn't read it any further than that, because I'm very familiar with the process. (laughs) I've been delayed a million times, so I've just put it away. Stevie, did you get this? Did Stevie get the same? No, just went to Monique, who who actually did the booking. Okay. She forwarded it to me. So we're saying, yes, now we can jam tonight, because we wanted to jam. Exactly. So we, you know... You brought we, your guitars down? We, I'll tell you that story in a minute. Yeah, good. No, we didn't bring them down. But anyways, so um, so we did. Had a wonderful evening and uh, went to bed and prepared for a 10.30 flight. So we're at the airport at... So here's the other problem I found out, that don't go beyond the three hours of your flight time. Don't go beyond two hours of your flight time when you go to Orlando because their booths don't open up. Like the WestJet booth right. didn't open up till two hours before. I remember that. Years you remember ago that we were lined up? You, were, you guys were sitting yeah. on the floor. Yeah. Same yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got there early. The crowd's the all there, all lined up. And, then, and in fact, I even made a joke. I, I said, oh, wow, that, there's the... Uh, because uh, it was like the the band coming on stage, right? The 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 ticket kiosk uh, WestJet people. One guy came in first early, and he set up all of the computers for. Them. I said, "That's the, the guy who's the tuning guitar the guitar." Yeah. yeah, and he's tuning them all up. And I said, "Hang on, hang on. Here they come. There's going to be the band's going to run. Sure as hell, the band rolls in, and everybody takes their position." Yeah, right? oh, Bobby dazzled up, looking good. Anyways, so 
we get to uh, the the window, and I said, uh, you know, gave him all the documentation. We're here to go. I know I didn't even say anything. I just said, gave him, you know, good morning. How are you going to Toronto? Yep. Okay. Good. Hmm. He looks at this and he says, where did uh, where did you get the flight information? <laughs> flight? Where are you? Where did I get? It? It's a WestJet flight. And and you guys sent me the notice that I was supposed to be on the seven o'clock flight this morning, but you guys said it was canceled, and uh, and delayed and moved to ten thirty. No, that didn't happen. So I mean, it didn't happen. So your West Jet, okay. So I get my stuff out. I said, "Look, is that you?" Yeah, he said, "Let me look at that." Wow, I have no idea where that came from. Because oh. a seven o'clock flight. In fact, you're up here on the screen now. You guys were absent from the seven. There's two of you, fly, right? Yeah, you were absent. So from they the flew. That flight flew. Yeah. Oh. I said, well, okay. Oh, so what's no going on? So, so what's going on? Well, I don't know. He says, I, I'm going to look into it. That's for, I don't even know where that. Holy mackerel! You know, the guy's all flustered. Nice guy. Yep. Yep. Nice guy. Threw that one into him. He Jamar was his name. Wonderful young ball. man. He says, "Just uh, yeah, let me let me work on this." And he's working, and so I, I got to call head office. So he oh called. He's on. Uh, he's got. He's got. He's got his little earpiece in. He's calling head office, and and uh, they put him on hold. Well, you're not hold, but you know, uh, recording says uh, if you're looking for this, you and, and now he's on hold, and, and now, he, guy on hold. now he puts it on the speaker so we can hear that legitimately he's trying, and we hear the music, you know, the, the usual shit. And I'm talking to Jamar. I said, "So what? What do you make of this man? Like this is crazy." I said, "At very least, this is bullshit." He says, "Yeah." He says, "The problem is we don't have a 10:30 flight. This is the the only flight. The next flight we've got is 11 11:15, and it's oversold." I can't even get you guys on that. I said, well, give me somebody I can talk to. He says, there's nobody here to talk to other than me. I said, no, but I mean, like, somebody has to be here in charge. Because they've got you on hold out of Calgary. Because he was calling Calgary. Somebody here has to be able to tell me what I'm going to do. Because right now, I have no idea. what. There's nobody here. And, he, and him and I debated that comment he went finally went and got a colleague just to come over and, and, and say there's nobody here and so what happens is that these people at the gate in orlando don't actually work for WestJet. they're a third party that runs wow. the their their computers yeah holy so crap. he's legitimately he's got no say in this at all even if he'd like to he's got really nothing he can't make any decisions because i said i want another flight i check any other airline there's got to be other airlines going out of here today that you can book me on because of this colossal error so you didn't say error did you no. this colossal error and meanwhile they are so backed up here because i'm and he said at one point he says listen he says we're, we're you see you're here i'm i'm, I'm on hold can, let's just uh, let me get these other passengers. I said no. I said no. I'm not going to do that. Oh, was there any the other minute? Was there I any moved, other uh, people working? Was there a couple there were, lines? Or oh, two or there three? had six. Oh, okay. all so you just got one. But okay. Anyways, yeah. bottom line is, I said no. I'm going to stand here until I get something. Because right now, I don't even know what I'm doing. Am I staying overnight? Are you going to book a hotel for me? I just checked out. I got no place to go. Oh, I was I was losing my mind. 
Oh, I could see. I was you. losing my I've mind. I've seen you lose your mind a little bit before. I think. But this he was I nice. He was nice. I couldn't even like get mad at him because he did everything he could. Yeah. Finally, Steve and I deliberated over it, and we said, "You know what? This is just a waste of time. A total waste of time. Let's we'll deal with this at a later date. Let's see about getting on another flight. Right. So we." I called home and Monique started working on getting me on another flight. So anyway, she finds a flight from Porter. And the flight was for 11.15. And it's now 10 o'clock. And you guys are parked at the big boy, the big, uh, the international airport, Yeah, the international airport. So now that's all new down there now. So now they've got uh, terminal A, B, and C. A and B are in the old building, but C is like, I think it's in Disneyland because you got to take a train. You got to take it. First of all, you have to walk out of the main airport, which is all under construction. And you have to walk about, I'm not exaggerating, about a mile to the train. Then you have to wait for a train. You get on the train and then it's a 20 minute train ride to the new station. And then because that station, that uh, terminal C is under construction, you have to then with your luggage, keep in mind, you got your luggage here with you too. Okay. You have to drag that through a parking lot, which is under construction around to the back and up a bunch of stairs to get to. Anyways, she's a, a 40 minute ordeal door to door. Okay. All right. So I've got, I've apparently I've got a flight waiting for me over there uh, from uh, Porter. Porter. So we run because we know we're, we're cutting it close. So we literally run with our luggage through this whole mess and we get there and there's nobody there. There's, there's nobody. It's all shut down. Porter's like shut down. There's nobody there. Okay. And we're saying, help. You know, is there anybody here? Anyways, so so to make a long story short, we got back on the phone with uh, Monique and uh, told her there's nobody there. She said, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, let me see what else I can do. I'll get right back to you. So we wait around. Meanwhile, the flight that at 11.15, we could see it. It taxied away and left, right? The the one that you're supposed to be on next, okay. So we get a call from me. He says, okay, all right. I got you. I managed to get the last two seats on uh, a flight um, with Air Canada. I said, oh, God. Seriously? Yep. Yeah. No, they got that's But it's a 9 p.m. flight. I said, oh, shit. I don't want to be here. Anyways, go back on the train, walk through the mud, up the stairs, back to the other place, sweating like dogs by now. And uh, we get to the uh, Air Canada um, area. Lots of people there. Lots of people working there. First thing we noticed was flight eighty two forty one to Toronto has been delayed to eleven p.m. No, eleven thirty five p.m. <laughs> Fuck! I thought I was gonna die. Oh my god! So I get back on the phone to Monique and she, okay, she. You got to get another flight. So, bottom line is, she finds another Porter flight, right? For four thirty in the afternoon, and it's now like two fifteen. Okay. And 
we take a chance. We go all the way back to Terminal C where we just came from. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, my God. Was, I there, won't pe- was go there people on, at the Porter site then? Was There uh, There was people at the Porter site, yeah. and uh, we booked it, and we waited. As I'm waiting now, I have to phone Air Canada to see about refunding. Mm-hmm. Like, keep in mind, I got three trips paid for now yeah. for two guys. Yeah. So I'm on the phone with uh, uh, to see about, uh, well, it seems like Air Canada doesn't do refunds, nor do they do credits. Oh. So this is what I'm being told on the phone. Of course, I lost my mind a little bit, Peter, with that person no. on the phone. Yeah. And I, I may have been borderline insane. <laughs> may have been borderline insane. Anyways. <laughs> We finally get to the bottom of it. The poor woman didn't realize that this was due to a uh, uh, rescheduling of a flight. The one I had bought at 9 o'clock was rescheduled to 1130. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, yeah, then we did qualify for a credit. But I was on the phone with her over an hour oh my waiting God. for my Porter flight. Get it all done. Porter's got some problems now with this flight. It's going to be delayed a little bit getting off the tarmac because they have problems with uh, the incoming flight. We finally pull off, and and it's a it's not a direct flight. It goes to Ottawa, and then from Ottawa to Toronto. By the time we left Orlando, it was after nine p.m. We finally got on a plane, went to Orlando or to uh, Ottawa, and when we get to Ottawa. Uh-oh. We're told that there's a delay with your <laughs> Toronto connection. But before we before we found that out, oh we God. were on the tarmac um on the tarmac waiting to, you know, for the plane to unload, but we couldn't because there was a problem with the ground crew. They were busy with somebody else. Apparently nobody told them that they had a flight coming in this evening. And so we waited for 45 minutes. I'll tell you what, you think I was pissed off? You should have heard the captain of the plane when he has, you know, he's got to apologize to all of us every 15 minutes, right? So you guys are sitting on the plane still? We're in the plane. Oh, my God. And and he's saying this, he said, this is absolutely ridiculous, folks. I'm totally embarrassed on behalf of WestJet. I would just like, meanwhile, I'm thinking, you guys aren't much better than the ground crew, so don't go giving yourself a pat in the back, okay? But anyways, yeah, the crown, ground crew was not available for 45 minutes. They finally came. We unloaded the plane. We get in. Now we're worried about our connection because mm-hmm, we, we had a two-hour uh, in, in the meantime, right? Okay. So we're saying, uh, connection. oh, don't worry. Uh, that plane has, it, it's, yeah. you're going to be at least two hours more <laughs> because it's coming in from Fort Lauderdale and they had a problem with uh. the machinery or something. <laughs> So we're sitting there, and uh, I, at this point, you can't even, like, it's beyond ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's beyond ridiculous. Yeah. So then they announced, folks, I hope you don't mind. Uh, the plane is now in. Uh, we're going to deplane and uh, have it all cleaned up for you, ready to go. Uh, but I hope you don't mind. We're going to delay it uh, another 45 minutes because we're waiting for another plane that's coming in uh, from... Uh, God knows where. So, and they, they're connecting to Toronto as well. So we thought you wouldn't mind if we just, you know, hung in here and waited for them. Did you tap out by then? Did you just say uh, I was tapped out. And, and to just to make matters even worse, my very favorite shirt, Dean, you know, my gray plaid, I travel yep. with it all the yep. time. 
it got lost. How did you just lose one shirt? In all of this, because I had it, I was carrying it with me to oh. put over top of my T-shirt. Yeah. So I had it, you know, on my briefcase, on the suit. Like, I had it with me in my hand and all that. But in this whole mess, I lost my one and favorite shirt. Gone. So I want to sum it all up by saying I have no idea what's going on out there. But if you are traveling nowadays, um, God be with you. Because, and and speaking to all the other people that I was traveling with, they're all having similar days and oh. similar experiences, and nobody is accountable anymore. There is no accountability in the airline business. They can just do whatever they yeah. want for whatever reason they want. Isn't that crazy? And that's and you got no recourse. You got, and, oh, hang on, the best. Oh, oh, but wait, there's more. In Ottawa, when we finally deplane, that I'm wondering, you know, are we going to make the next flight? And then I find out, well, it's going to be late anyways. But our luggage isn't showing up. So I went over to a guy, and I'm just beside myself. Right? I got to get, but he says, sir, oh. sir, if you don't lower your voice, I won't even speak to you. He says, I have had a terrible day today. <laughs> I've been up since nine o'clock and it's not a good day for me either. So either calm down or I'm just going to walk away. This was a West jet employee. What are you going to do? I just don't know what else to say about it. Totally disgusted with the whole airline system. End of story. And, and if you're a dude walking around a gray plaid shirt on either oh, Ottawa or Florida, you better watch your ass because oh, if he finds out, he's going to kill you. <laughs> my favorite of all time. I've had that shirt forever. Oh my it's an God. overshirt. Gray, black plaid. It's wonderful. If you stole it from me, I hope you die. <laughs> Anyways. I will not be traveling for a while. I got to tell you right now, I had travel plans in in my immediate future. Uh, They will not be uh, executed. I just could not take that again. Wow, no kidding. I couldn't. It's traumatic. Sorry about that, but I had to get it off my chest. No. Well, one final... There's a bunch of bullshit. That's correct. And these shirts, by the way, are available on uh, the uh, Fish in Canada store site. Uh, I believe, I'm hoping they're up. And there's uh, all kinds they of They better be. There. They all will be now, right? Goodies. Don't expect the winter goodies there. They'll be coming in the spring. <laughs> so, but this is there. <laughs> kind of a winter scene there, right? Yeah, this kind is of. there. Uh, this week's fan question. Sorry to bother you with my own personal little trivial little events, but I just had to unload that. And uh, by the way, I want to name all three airlines again. WestJet sucks. Air Canada sucks. And now Porter Sucks, not just for that experience, but you and I experienced them in Sault Ste. Marie where we lost an entire day. Like, where is the part where I can charge you for my day? Where is the part where there's some value to doing this to me? Like, I don't know. There's got to be a lawyer out there somewhere who takes on cases like this. A a lot of lawyers that love to listen to you right now. No, (laughs) but take on the case where where there are, you know, some certainly not necessarily punitive damage well maybe they are punitive i mean you know it's you ruined my health mm-hmm. yesterday so i should be able and to that charge other you. poor guy that got up at 9 a.m you ruined his health because of the residual effects right and you lost that my shirt my and shirt was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to me i'd say if a lawyer wants to do a little pro bono work you gotta angelo is your man right here 
I've got it all documented, by the way. I couldn't follow it all to the T, but I have it all documented. Everything was documented. So now I'm out That's- three flights. Just so you know, I'm out three flights, a shirt, and and my and my tra- and traumatic uh, my stress level stress. is beyond belief. And I lost a whole day, and I didn't get any sleep, and I'm a mess. So, lawyer, give me a call. You and I, I think we got something cooking here. All I, right, I, uh, like, I can't wait to see that case. That'll be the best. Fan question as submitted by Josh Bastoni from British Columbia via email. Nice. Uh, Josh says, hey, guys, I'm wondering what the bare minimum fish finder to use for ice fishing in terms of feature features and clarity. Well, that's pretty easy. Uh, I, I think it, he says bare minimum. What does that mean? Well, explain that to me. I'm wondering it's either. For ice fishing, yeah, I mean, it, how many screens cost? do you know? Is well, I'm going to assume cost is a huge one, right? I would think. He doesn't say that, but he says in features and clarity, they all pretty much have the same features. It's just a matter of screen sizes, et cetera, right? And then the costs go up. Well, the maps per. versus no maps, I guess. Right. That's pretty important for ice fishing. Right. Well. Um, unless you have it on your, like the Navionics app, but you need something. But yeah. is he talking uh, like, is he talking like a panoptics kind of a deal here? I, no. A I live think scope talking, kind of a deal here? I think he's, how do you get started in it? I, we brought one. We just happen to have one in stock right here beside us. Well, look at you. Look at this. Wow. this would be the bare minimum right here. It's a striker four Garmin kit, ice kit. And uh, do you know do you have a, do you have something there for it? Don't you have the I have that one. The price tag. I do have this still for, right there. For, for, yep. That's at Radio World right yep. now. So two hundred ninety bucks gets you an entire kit. This will do anything you need to do when you're ice fishing. I mean, it's got a flasher screen. It's got a GPS on it, so you can. It doesn't have the maps. It right. has a GPS, so you can mark waypoints, et cetera, et cetera. And it's got all the other screens, the traditional screen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So something like this. The problem with this, the only problem with this is it's a small screen, right? It's got a tiny little... Well, I, I also uh, see the lack of GPS as a problem. Lack of mapping. Or mapping. Yes. But he wants the bare minimum, right? If he okay, wants the bare but- minimum with mapping, you're going to be into about five to 600 bucks. Right. Okay. Then you're going to go to a five-inch screen or the seven-inch screen or something like that. But... Um, this, you know, and basically, these, all these ice fishing units like that, they have a transducer that you drop down. This is variable. And you, this is a float, so it doesn't sink down. No, you drop that down the hole. You fish right beside it. When you get a fish, you pull it out. You set it down. You catch your fish. And then you put it back in and do some more fishing. Yes, like sir. Like, so. in my absence, you guys did some, some work here. Oh, didn't yeah. you? It's like the shopping network now. <laughs> I, I like you this. Buy that on fish.canada, fishingcanada.com. I, I and, love this. <laughs> I'm really impressed. So you guys did put in some work last week. Hell yeah, buddy. Yeah. While you were going through all your frustrated life, we, uh, right. you know, we want to keep our sponsors happy. All but, right. it's yeah, yeah, I mean, a flasher... The flasher unit versus, see, this is a traditional scale there that they have that picture of, but they do have the amplitude scale on the side. There's a little line under, you can see that close enough. That amplitude is real time. The other side is the traditional, which is That's on the historical. right side uh, on the screen now. Yeah, right there. So that's real time. That's what you're really watching. That's a fish, but it's in the past sort of thing. It's been, guys, so don't know where that fish is now. Here's, there's no fish underneath there. So uh, you either that side uh, of that, you look at the amplitude scale or you look at a flasher and you want to see real time because you want to see right below when a fish comes in, you can move your bait, you'll see your bait come in and then you work from there. So really all of this information here is really of no use to anybody, It's, it's right? a nice picture. It's, yeah, it's nice to, yeah, yeah, you're seeing what your jig did. Right. You're seeing that fish right. that's gone right. from somewhere else. So right. it's kind of, you know. And that's the, the beauty of real time sonar. Exactly. Um, exactly. Which, which would be the ultimate if this if this is the the 
the minimum. The minimum. Then exactly. the ultimate would There's be. There's the ultimate right there. Look at the price tag of that. That's your $6, ultimate. $6,350. Yeah. So that's, wow. a, that's a GPS map unit. Oh, actually, that's, that's an Echo map. It's an Echo, yeah. See, it says GPS map. Yeah. That's the wrong picture there, folks. So I don't know. So I'll take back Jack. what I said about you guys working Jack. hard, uh, all of this. this is you got to give Jack yeah. the... Uh, I blew up the image and changed it. So that, that, oh, Dean did. So that will be a, a unit better than that unit even, uh, a 10-inch uh, GPS map unit, which is different. But did you take that picture, Dean, of the ice hut? Did I, did I send you that? Did you... That was inside? actually in the background of our last thumbnail. This one, except I changed it to our TV show. That's okay. So those TV screens in this, uh, that's an ice hut right there, folks. With that fish finder right there, you can actually watch that fish finder screen on both those big TV screens. And, and he's watching to. the Fish in Canada show too. Well, there you go. If he had a satellite, he wow. could watch Fish in Canada on one and he could watch his uh, live scope image on another. Wow. See that? I'd look good in that shot. Damn good, Yes. All of it takes somebody to spend six thousand bucks, and they can watch you in that hut. They got that whole and the hut fish. and everything. The hut yeah. included. Oh well, it? you might want no. to add a little from flavoring to that price tag on that one. <laughs> Anyways, Josh, it's like uh, three hundred, less than three hundred bucks, right? So can get you into the game of ice fishing. Josh, probably is it Josh? Is it my? I believe so. No, yeah, Josh. Yeah, Josh. BC yeah. He must be in northern BC, right? Because I don't know there's a whole lot of bastone. You know what that means? He's obviously Italian. See. See, see, it's okay. Kane, Kane, Bastone. Wow, Josh Bastone is Josh Kane. There you go. Pretty cool, right? Eh? Quite Chain Kane on from Fu. British Columbia. Nice to have you folks out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Thanks for the question, us. Josh. There you go, buddy. Good luck in Northern BC because I don't think they have ice fishing in Southern, do they? In, uh, yeah, they do. In like, do they? yeah, not like on the coast, but right uh, in, in inland, in the interior. For okay. Sure. Yeah. Time for a special guest. There's an adventure just outside these walls. It's something you'll hate to leave and can't wait to get back to. It's a place where memories are made and bonds are forged. For some, it's hitting the trails. For others, it's a weekend at the lake. It's a place full of campfires and quality time. This year, take some time to reconnect with friends, family, and nature. No matter what adventures await you, Coleman has the gear you need. Visit ColemanCanada.ca to gear up today. The outside is calling. Answer the call. All right, let's bring him on. Uh, last time he was on the program, we uh, wow, we had a wonderful conversation. Oh, Did God, open up still, a few little... We're still talking about a lot of that stuff to this <laughs> you day. Know. You know what I mean? That was a long time ago. So uh, His name is Paul Radomsky, and he is uh, an author of an incredible uh, book that, uh, that has been put up. But he's a fisheries biologist uh, at Minnesota uh, DNR. Uh, has been with them for 35 years and a fascinating gentleman, expert, in my opinion, on walleye, even though I might debate some of it with you, Paul, but that's okay. That's okay. That's <laughs> Welcome good. to the show. Yeah. And, and Dino will have to cut out the fact of who I'm working for because I cannot still, I can neither confirm nor deny who I'm actually working for. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it at that then. Okay. <laughs> well said. Well said. 
Uh, anyway, do you want to kick us off? Well, Mr. Paul Roman? was. Uh, if, I don't know if anybody remembers if you if you've been following us, uh, episode fifty six of the Outdoor Journal Radio podcast, where Paul come on and believe it or not, Paul, you probably don't even know this yet. It was our best performing episode of twenty twenty three. Congratulations! So thank Paul. you very much for your fantastic information. So, well, I think it was from you guys. You did most of the engaging. <laughs> thinking going on on that episode so well, i had a great conversation as i learned as much as i, I gave i'm sure well we're more of the bsers and you're more of the fact <laughs> kind of guys okay <laughs> that's all i can say about that one uh yeah we talked about wildlife biology management uh, open more on the open water stuff if anybody I, I really recommend that people go back and listen to that episode because it's very just very uh one thing before we leave that subject because today we want to spend a little bit more time maybe on on um ice and yeah. and how while I affected by that, but getting back to what we spoke about last time and, and really not, I don't think we came up to any conclusions, but we certainly came up with a few more theories. And that is that at any given time on any body of water, uh, walleye can be found pretty much in all of the depths from shallow to deep. And in fact, we now believe that at any given moment on any given body of water, there are walleye that will be out roaming in, in schools, perhaps in open water. And there will be walleye in the traditional, you know, 12 foot little ridges and uh, rock outcroppings and points and, you know, that kind of thing uh, at the same time on the same lake during the same conditions. So it's not, they're not, certainly not one dimensional. That's for sure. No, and that goes for a lot of different species, right? I mean, you get different, um, different behaviors, different traits uh, for certain, certain fish. So, um, and it's not, it's very similar to humans, very similar to deer. You know, there's, there's always a component that maybe wanders more, um, uses the open water more. And there's a subpopulation that, you know, follows traditional, what we consider traditional behavior, right? Um, and I think as do a lot more um, acoustic tagging, I think they'll get a better handle on, on that variety of behavior that's that's actually occurring so you may be right and uh as we acquire more you know day-to-day hour-to-hour minute-to-minute kind of behaviors by looking at what the fish are doing yeah that could that could very well is it is it not mostly though based on the food source, the walleye's food source as to where they're going to be. Even if they are at open water, they are on points, they are none of that. There's as long as they're close to food for the most, most part. Yeah. Yeah. I, of course. I mean, you know, ecologists will call it the uh, optimal foraging theory, right? That a walleye is going to ex- try to get maximize its returns on its effort. Right. Right. So it's going to seek to catch prey to minimize the, energy expended to catch that prey right so i mean that's the fish he's gonna and we do the same thing hunting right or fishing yep i'm gonna i'm gonna go find the best spot yeah i'm gonna sit on this location at this time because i think i'm gonna have a good chance of catching a fish or you know the honey hole or whatever the honey hole right we're all looking for the honey hole right we don't want to run around and waste gas and time and effort you just want to sit on top of them and grab which then which then leads me to believe that maybe the high percentage areas for walleye anglers maybe would be to seek out those big schools of bait in open water because 
I would assume, if what you just said is correct, and I believe it to be correct, that those walleye would not be far from that school all day and all night long because they know that when that moment comes that they need to fuel up, it's very little energy yep. used because uh-huh. the school's right there. It's very visible. They go in, pluck off one or two, and then slowly drop down below the school again, right? Yeah, yeah, let's think about um, the optimal forage theory in the context of thinking like a walleye, right? So right. I'm a walleye. I've got some pretty good strengths. I'm, I'm mobile. I can do fast turns compared to, say, a northern pike that's really good at ambush straight ahead kind of stuff. Uh, I've got an eye adaption, you know, back of the eye reflector. In low light conditions, I've got the advantage. Yeah with my prey, my prey, like Cisco, that may be in the open water area. They don't have that perch. They don't have that. So, but I got weaknesses, right? I'm nearsighted. Um, I've got great side vision, but as I get close to prey, I lose my binocular vision, right? And I can't move fast. I can't come up on prey very quick. Is that a, um, a gas bladder that's, that's regulated by my circulatory system. So it's a slow system, not like trout that has a duct between its air uh, ga- gas bladder and its stomach that can burp the gas. So I've got some, I got some restrictions, <laughs> shortcomings, but I've got some really good strengths. And I'm going to, as a walleye, I'm going to take advantage of my strengths. So if I'm open water, I'm going to probably start foraging under low light conditions because I got a better chance they're getting close to Cisco, maybe, or a school of perch or a school of minnows. And I'm going to use that to my advantage, right? So probably why we don't catch a lot of, or probably why we catch most of our walleye at low light conditions, right? Not to say that they're not out there in open water, just, you know, constantly searching. Um, they're pretty efficient and fairly slowly looking around for stuff. But again, they're going to want to maximize their catch rates. And uh, to do that, they're going to seek to, to focus in on their advantages that they have in that environment. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You said, you said a couple of things. You said they have poor eyesight in general. Are they, are they, what's the range of a walleye's eyesight? Are they, do they have a worse eyesight than a pike, a muskie, a bass? Or can, is there a comparison that way? That's a great question. I, I haven't really thought about it from that perspective. But I know they... You know, they're, they're a little bit nearsighted, right? So okay. they can't see very far. And in a water environment, especially if it's a, a turbid um, or deep, they may not have, you know, great distances you can see. If you're scuba diving, you go, oh, my God, I can't see very far. Right. Um, so. Um, something something else you said, and I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like I'm argumentative here. And I'm surprised Pete didn't pick up on it, but you said something more thing, but Pete said, or you said that they were slow moving, right? I believe Paul. Well, if they're just cruising, right. You know, if they're just in a school and they're cruising along, um, you know, a break or something, but if they're often just swim at a, at a fairly slow speed, but they've got a tremendous ability to, First, very quick speed. Okay, I was going to say because yeah, yeah. We, you, you can see we, that we, when you're in the water and go, oh my god, look at that! <laughs> it just took off. They're right? lightning fast. We had a yeah, huge exactly. aquarium with uh, with walleye and other predator fish in it, and at feeding time, I'm telling you, there were few fish in that tank oh. that could out 
pace a walleye when it was hungry because it's explosive. Yeah. The only way I can describe it, it was a, it was explosive. It was yeah. instant. Yeah. And like uh, Paul says, the, the turning ability, uh, go on, on YouTube or somewhere and watch a penguin, the way they swim underwater. Oh, right. That's what a walleye, they're so, uh, yeah, their agility and speed yeah. and all that kind of, that's what a walleye is under the water when they want to. But, uh, but as Paul said, I think, and you know what, it goes back to the, when they're following bait and, and they're holding all their energy until they absolutely need to feed. Well, usually the bait balls that we see on our fish finders, they're usually at rest as a, as a rule too. They're very slow, slow, slow. The walleye are very, there's no reason to move fast until they need to feed. Boom. Then everybody sudden, moves fast just, and then they go back to slow down again. Right. So yeah. they're, they're opportunist. Um, Paul, but you said another one about the bladder control. So <clears throat> not unlike a trout and absolutely we get that, but does a walleye have enough, brain power to say okay i'm in 35 to 40 feet of water right now if i go up to 12 feet to hit that bait i could be in trouble and come back down like will they just not do it do you think or do they have that kind of control i mean the pressure internal pressure is gonna they're gonna sense that and go oh my god i'm pushing it too far right right they've got an instinct to that it's going okay, okay how far can i push it okay um you know based on where their starting depth is right right right, right. okay and what about a fast burst if they don't boom straight up that 20 feet and then back down to 40, you know what I mean? With that, yeah, that'd be, they might be able to pull that off, right? As right. long as they come back down fairly quickly. If it's just a, a quick, rapid ascent and, a, and then descent, that's probably not going to affect them as much, right? How right. much pain tolerance do you have, right? Okay. And we talked about that on a previous podcast yeah. about, you know, catching fish deep or yep. what, what could be perceived as deep water versus shallow water fish and the mm-hmm. time that, uh, that you muck around with them before they go back in. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, the most controversial thing that you talked about last time on the show, and we'll talk about it again now, um, was the retention of oversized fish oversized in the sense of, uh, 18 inches and above. Do you recall that little conversation that we had? Um, I was probably talking about, um, probably talking about how there's been cer- certain trends in, in fisheries management, right? For a while, I, for example, when I started the business, um, it was all, well, we should have minimum sizes. We should protect the small fish. And then we realized, well, we were hitting some of these fisheries pretty hard. You know, the, the number of spawners was, you know, getting close to a, a concern point. Right. And we started talking about, Hey, you need to have a certain number of spawners in the population to sustain the fishery. And I think, I think right now we're in this period of, Oh, we ought, we got to release the big fish. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we got to release those big fish. The, the females have eggs. And I'm well, one, one of we, we're taking our mammal approach to fish, right? right. A while female is going to spawn 10, 10 to a hundred thousand eggs, you know, in the spring. And if every one of those eggs for the population survive, you're going to have no water available. Sure. In, right. You know, when they, and they're sure. Yeah. It's, it's just, we can't take that. Oh, that deer mammal kind of philosophy, how we're thinking about management and apply it to fish where their whole reproductive strategy of why is to bomb the shore, bomb the, River, river riffles with with eggs and hope maybe you know half of one percent will survive right. to um 
to hatch and, and, and recruit into the fishery. So I might've been starting there, but at the same time, I was talking about, um, or might've been talking about uh, the fact that people believe as the number of female or large walleye increase, the number of um, small walleye will, will be available, right? It's a linear thing. If I got more females, large fish, small fish coming up. So why doesn't that make any sense? I mean, why are we thinking linearly like that, right? Do you have a clue? None. No. All right, Dean? Uh, Dean's cheating. Dean nope, was cheating. I have no clue either. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay. It's an ecosystem. There's always limits, right? I can't go on infinitely straight up. I'm going to hit a, th- a threshold, a carrying capacity of walleyes. So that can't be linear. It has to curve. And for walleyes, once you get a certain number of females or a certain number of large walleye, it actually declines. So the number of fish, young fish that are going to go into the fishery is declining with that large population of large fish. And that's because of what, Paul? Two things. One is that you've got this large population. They're competing against the small fish that they're producing. So there's less forage for them. Right. And second, those large walleye are going to consume young walleye because they're just prey. Right. So that's called cannibalism, right? So those two factors mean um, that if you have this large abundance of of large fish in the population, you're going to see less reproduction and recruitment of small fish. And, and that's called, and it was discovered by a Canadian. Oh, how right. Yeah. (laughs) It was Dr. Dr. Bill Ricker. He's the most famous fishery scientist in the world. He's dead now, but you, you guys should celebrate his, his uh, life. By having a holiday in Canada. <laughs> got I hear you, we buddy. Got I hear we you. got enough. It's <laughs> like a, a, spring, a spring day, right? So that kids would go out fishing. No True. school today. Hey. It's Bill Ricker Day. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just ask this question of you, Paul. If I have a wonderful walleye lake and I manage it, it's mine. I'm going to manage it. And I've been blessed with the opportunity to manage a lake that has not just walleye, but for some reason, genetically speaking, it's a bigger, stronger. It came from a bigger, stronger gene pool because the fish grow faster. They, they are just bigger at birth, if you will. Okay. And I got to manage this, this lake and I want to turn it into a trophy lake where people can come and get their, personal best walleye each and every time they come out. So would I be wise to have a no retention policy on that lake, zero retention policy on that lake, or based on what I just heard you say, should I put a, you know, marginal retention of walleye, say under 24 inches and have at it for the 24 and up? Yeah. Which would be best? You know, this is, you know, this is, these are the challenges that fish managers face all the time, right? So from, from your description of that fishery, I go, hey, that sounds like a place that can grow some outstanding walleye. 
I might just have a total catch and release on it. I'm going to forego some of the harvest because, hey, these large fish are going to suppress the population, right? But I'm going to save this fish. And this is going to be one fishery that people will go to in the hopes that they're going to catch, you know, an 8 or 10 or 12-pound walleye, right? That's cool. And you got plenty of lakes in the area, probably. Hey, I might manage another lake where I'm going to fish it pretty hard. I'm going to try to get as much surplus production out of that fishery as possible. That means I might allow a lot of harvest of big fish, but I'm still going to manage it such I don't deplete the number of large fish so that I worry about the fact that I might not have enough spawners to actually maintain that population. But then you get the best of both worlds. And as a fisherman or an angler, I can say, today I'm going to go to this great lake that you just described. And I'll have a chance to catch, you know, maybe a lifetime fish, mm-hmm. you know, something really outstanding. And that's cool. And then other days, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get some fish for the grandkids so they can right. we have a good meal. Yep. And, and I'm going to catch a lot of fish. And, and I'm even take the kids with me because I know I can catch, you know, several fish at, at certain times of the day. Uh, I'm gonna, and I know that fishery is managed that way. And I think. I think that's the challenge with the fact that oftentimes we go, we get into this this fashion, right? We got to let the big fish go, and in many places like you know the Midwest here or, or Ontario, there's a lot of opportunity to mix this up so you have a diversity of fisheries. Mm. You've got some great trophy class walleye fisheries, and you've got these great places where you can catch a meal and have a lot of action. And I think. I think that depends on the public accepting that fact that you can manage walleye fisheries differently based on different objectives. Right. And if we did that, I think, I think we'd all be better off instead of, you know, right now in Minnesota, we're pushing a lot of these into what are, they're trying to push all of them into trophy, you know, walleye fisheries. Because that's where the the money is, Paul. I mean, let's be honest about it. People are willing to spend (laughs) dollars to go to lakes and uh, resorts or or fishing lodges that have traditionally yielded big big walleye. And they'll pay money for that, right? Whereas well, the, working with that's fish managers working with their with the people that are living there and right. and you know trying to make a make a make a living there mm-hmm. to say okay what what is best for for this local economy is it to for the local angler so that they can have a place to come and fish mm-hmm. you know have a meal you know bring back fish back or is it something that you're 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 developing this outstanding fishery where you want people to come from worldwide, right? And say, Oh, this is a really outstanding walleye fishery. It's unique. Please come here. And those, you know, that's dependent on the public telling the fish managers what they really want. And oftentimes fish managers have been giving things that mean, right. Or at least we haven't had a broad discussion with the public, right. Who makes that decision? Right. Is it the agency making that decision or is it the agency making that decision in consultation with the public? Yeah. And I think that's what has to happen. Hmm. Well, we know the latter very seldom happens. Yeah, and I yeah, hate to yeah. say this. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but very seldom uh, do you get science working in harmony with the economists the in that area. It just yeah. the two don't don't seem to to talk or communicate. Hmm. Hey, Paul, in that, yeah, in, think, in Angelo's Lake, sorry to interrupt, but I want to go back to Angelo's Lake. He's got this beautiful lake that it's just, 
loaded with big fish, real good breeders, real good stalkers. Or, or I was going to say the stalkers. Would the DNR or would our MNR, would they use a lake like that to stalk other lakes? Or do they just let the walleye population kind of, in general, let's say in Minnesota, that you know that the best. Do they just let things go as it is? Or do they say, hey, Angelo's Lake is so good with these prime fish that are just the best of the best. Let's stock other lakes with that. Uh, Minnesota, it, it has a fairly sophisticated approach based on genetics. So it doesn't want to mix um, pools of walleye. You know, and it's mostly spatial, right? You've got a southern walleye that's very adapted to the southern part of the state that can grow fast in warm water. You've got uh, other populations in, in the north and northeast that are distinct. And we don't think it's, the state doesn't think it's good to um, stock fish from a different genetic wow. you know, um, population on top of another population. Because you might damage that fishery in some way, right? Those fish in certain locations have adapted to that spot. Right. And they may be the best fish for for that location of in the state. So they've got kind of the state chunked out to where they'll take fish from and uh and often where they're getting the fish are places that they're easy to trap right in the spring right. right spring trap nettings that they can catch a lot of fish get a good egg take um and then distribute those to lo- similarly genetically um Wow. In that same genetic group. That's freaky. I don't um, think I don't think we do a lot of that here. No, I don't think I, we do. I know for a fact we don't. So it's so if you I gotta get this right. So if you took southern fish eggs and planted them in the a northern lake, would those fish bring that genetics from that south grow up with those genetics from the southern fish into that northern lake? Yeah, that, and you you yeah, if the, the, the concern is that if you you bring those fish up north, for example, one, they might do worse. They're not they're not evolved to that specific habitat or location, the, the thermal conditions, whatever, and they'll do poorly. The other one is we've been doing this before we, we did a lot of the genetic work is we'd be moving fish from up north down south and we swamp some of those southern gene populations with these Northern populations, they ended up not doing very well, those Northern fish in Southern waters. Um, But there was a concern that we might've essentially damaged that Southern population or parts of it. So now we only find that Southern population in a few water bodies. And why is that? Well, probably because our past stocking, we probably overwhelmed those populations with fish that, um, just replace that population, and that's not a good thing, because we want to we want to maintain that genetic diversity. Um, um, just yeah. because you don't want you don't want to lose that, because you might need that in the future. Right. Minnesota's changing; we might be really dependent on that southern genetic strain um, in a changing world. So we just got to think long term. And it's, it's not good to eliminate one genetic strain yeah. just because you don't think it's growing well or yeah. it's not optimal, right? For the longest time here, uh, I don't know whether it's still going on today. I haven't looked into it for a little while, but for the longest time, we would take uh, uh, Bay of Quinty walleye um, eggs 
and use them as the the source for most of our spawning in south south central Ontario for walleye. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that was the the big place, the White White Brothers uh, hatchery in that area was the contributor. I think at that when I when I last was involved and in, I think they were up to ninety or ninety five percent of the stocking programs in the southern part of the province came from that gene pool. That, so uh, I know, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, Crystal Lake, where yep. my father-in-law's yep. on, yep. Um, they took, from what I had heard, they had taken Quinty walleye and put it in Crystal Lake. Yep. And and one thing about that lake, I'll tell you what, it has big walleye in it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> now, I don't know if they're is. spawning successfully or not, and I don't know what size they bring them into there or not, but holy man. Well, and that's a little farther north, too. That's like an hour yeah. and a half, basically, north Bob Cajun. I, I have to believe that it, they, they were successful in spawning because this program I'm talking about uh, had been in place for a decade before I stumbled onto right. it. And they lined up like the uh, all of the different hatcheries would have to. Uh, it was almost uh, take a number, almost <laughs> like uh, getting a tag for moose. Wow. You know what I mean? They'd all uh, put in their their requirements yeah. that they wanted, and uh, then M and R would do whatever they did wow. to uh, give them the allotment or a portion of the allotment that they had requested. Because because as you know, Paul, I mean, I don't think there's another place on the planet that has. Um, Walleye, well, there's and there's two different types of walleye in Bay of Quinty too. That's the other thing we can't forget. We've got the the um, the ones that live there, or we can certainly call them native, and then we've got the ones that move in from from Lake Ontario. And I don't know whether at the time that this hatchery program was in place, whether they did target the big fish coming in mm. from the lake, or whether they were using the bay fish. Right. But I, all I know is that eggs from uh, Bay Aquinty for walleye were like gold, absolute gold. So, hmm. <laughs> so. when when uh, when they overfished the the Red Lake system here in Minnesota, they they looked around. They thought, well, we could we could restore it quick if we stocked it. And then they they did the genetics of what remained in in Red Lake and compared it to nations. And says, oh, here's one on Vermilion Lake that's very similar. Let's take the fish the fry from from our egg take there and and stock those into red so they're very thoughtful about about doing that and and probably mnr will get to that point too yeah you know the other concern that that the fish managers have is you know you've you've got you may have traits that are um that are inherited right you've got uh lake resident walleyes that river spawn um, and we see a very high site uh, fidelity for that, about 70%. So for, for walleyes that live in, in these large systems that spawn in, in rivers, 70% of them go back to the same river year to year. Every, One of my year. questions I had written on the sheet yeah. right there. Wow. No kidding. And, and the, well, why do you have such a high uh, fidelity to that, to that area? Is it, is it a trait? Is, is it an inheritable trait or is it something that they learned? And the science is really quite unclear about that. But say, for example, you're stocking river run um, fish into systems that don't have large um, rivers coming into them, right? Right. Um, what's, this, what's the likelihood of creating a sustainable fisheries there, yeah. right? Yeah. So those, those are kind of 
things that people are still trying to understand a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That would be an issue. Definitely. That's cool. Hey, Before we get to the winter stuff, right. one more question, Paul, how big, let's say a very genetic or a very generic question here in that is how effective is a 30 inch female walleye at spawning is there a number there is like this 28 inch, when they get to 30 inches are they prime eh? what's the prime spawners there, yeah when do they shut down not more than when the prime when is it when they kind of over with their day with their deal yeah i i don't know if there's like a certain length that that they're prime on right right um what what we know from looking at at spawning females is the larger the fish is, the earlier they'll often spawn. Oh, okay. And and I don't know if that's because they're they're more re- ready to go. And I don't know if that's often the best spawning strategy. Some years it is, right? The earlier you get in, the earlier your, your eggs will hatch. You'll, but if your timing is wrong, those yeah. eggs hatch and the perch hatch hasn't happened, or you know they're not synced up really well. Um, then it may not be. Mm. So for, from a population perspective, I think it helps to have a variety of female spawners that spawn across a wide window of spawning activity. That way you have some resilience to some environmental conditions that might be unique for that particular year. Okay. So, I, so I would say mm, we know for sure the bigger the, fo- the, bigger the female, the the bigger the the egg mass that they yeah, have for sure that's probably good yeah yeah like a big 34 35 inch walleye i mean are they that's got to be an old fish i'm going to assume around here in our great lakes that's got to be an older fish i would think are yeah it could be 20 years old yeah. for for all you know yeah 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 so so yeah. moving into the uh, cold water period which was what we were supposed to do on this segment we do get carried away it and and it's a perfect segue from what you guys were just talking about in terms of spawning um if it's a fact that uh, female fish start developing their eggs, I believe, uh, in the fall of the year prior to the spring, is that correct? They, they start developing almost after, the, after they just spawn. So they'll, okay. they'll, they'll start forming eggs. They'll okay. become um, more observable by fall, right? By fall, but right. Almost mature by fall. Wow. Yes. If that is the theory that they are going to be over the winter period, they're going to is the most important part for the development of the eggs in the female fish. If that's the theory, I just want your opinion on this. And there is no right or wrong answer. Um, Do you believe that maybe if we need to manage our inventory a little bit tighter than we are now on any given body of water, assuming that the body of water, by the way, has an ice fishery um, because some of them don't here in this country. Um, if we needed to tighten up the belt a little bit on the management of our walleye fishery, would the hard water period not be the best time to do it for the simple reason that uh, it's a critical part of the, the development of the eggs in the female fish? Yeah, I would say no. I, I would okay. say Right. You know, that since the eggs are being developed through the summer, through the fall, they're almost mature, you know, at that fall period. Um, whether they're harvested in the spring or in the summer or in the fall or in the winter, 
does it really matter? I mean, it's it's a dead walleye either way. <laughs> That's right. a good point. Um, right. Yeah. So, and then you look at where the most of the harvest is for, for walleye fisheries. It's spring harvest is where the most of the harvest happens through the open water season. Okay. Around here, our, our winter harvests can be large component, but often they're the smaller chunk of where the, the fish leave is through the, through the ice fishing. And that's because, you know, while it's cold water, they're, they're, they're slow down a bit. Um, they eat 20% um, of what they ate in this, in the summer, in the winter. Wow. So they're not eating as much, you know, in the summer they might, you know, eat one or two um, yearling perch per day, but in the winter it might be one or two perch every three or four days. So, I mean, they're slowing down. And that's why we don't catch as many walleye generally in the winter. Mm. Um, I don't, I mean, loving both the open water and the ice fishing. Uh, I think we'd be challenged. Fish managers would be challenged to say, you know what? We're going to close off the winter fishery so that we can save a component of our harvest. Well, you get a lot of people saying, well, why don't you just regulate the um, the summer harvest a little better, better right. right? Why are you going to take this opportunity for us to enjoy the outdoors and the ability to catch a walleye mm-hmm. in the winter? So yeah. we've never, in Minnesota we, and, and often in the Midwest, you don't see regulating the seasons very much. We have it here eh? on, Rice, on Rice Lake and the Kawartha area, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's, still in, it's still in place, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, yep. you can't. Yep. Uh, they've stopped the ice fishing for walleye here. No, uh, no walleye ice fishing. Yeah. So didn't didn't that system have some um, overfishing problems in the past? Well, I mean that's debatable. The the one that sort of led the way was Lake Scugog. Uh, in particular, we're talking about walleye. Um, yeah, yeah, way overfished because very close to six million people. I'm talking half an hour drive for most of them to yeah. to that lake. So it got bombarded. Uh, all year long and and, and there was an interesting uh, there was a point in the decision making where uh, somebody thought you know what before we and it was a Lake Scugog is a very popular walleye fishery in in this part of the world and so um, they at one point said I think we better consult with the uh, uh, the user groups you know the stakeholders in this let's Let's see if we can get some intelligent information from them and then base that. So they did. They, they did this wonderful policy. If, if you get a chance to go and, and read it somewhere, they did this wonderful, you know, I'm going to say it was like a 10-page uh, survey and questionnaire and uh, um, put it out to the public via Internet and ask them to reply to it and give them uh, some feedback. And the return was so low of people who took the time to give their opinion or, or at least read it and say, yes, I read it, um, that M&R just got, threw their hands in the air and said, you know what? Obviously, nobody cares. <laughs> Obviously, they don't care oh, whether geez. we close it, don't close it, uh, uh, you know, start, you know, selective harvesting, whatever. They don't care about any of it. So, you know what? We're just going to close it. Shut her down. And of course, when that happened, everybody oh, came out of the woodwork and said, how dare you? How can you do that to me? So I just wanted to tell you, that's how this whole thing started with the Korthas and, and Rice Lake and well, the everybody Korthas, else. Was the 
There was never ice never fishing ice allowed. Fishing. Yeah, yeah. And, then they, and then they never. allowed just pan fishing. Yeah. Now it's they just brought it back as pan fishing right. only, right? Which, right? which, you know what my thought was on that, then you might as well open it up for walleye because you know there's going to be there's, so many incidental catches oh, yeah. and, 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 and killing the odd a guy, fish. The odd guy throwing uh, one in a bucket and trying to yeah. sneak away with it, right? Yeah. So, but anyways, yeah, yeah, we're going through a lot of that up here now. I'd All say right. in the last 10 years, you know, we're starting to maybe outthink this whole thing in some cases. Um <laughs> But anyways, um, Paul, you're you're a biologist, right? A fisheries biologist. Is that correct? Yes, I am. OK, so a lot of times in Canada here, when we're ice fishing, even late fall fishing, I've seen it before. But when we're ice fishing and you're not in a hut and it's like literally minus 15 Celsius out here, ridiculous cold, even colder. You bring a walleye up out of the ice and almost instantly freeze. it starts to freeze. The water on it, the skin, the eyes, they literally they literally get a little skim of ice on them. Is, I mean, obviously, it should be an immediate release. Should it, can a person take a picture of that fish if it's a trophy of a lifetime? How much danger time is there there? How much leeway do you have? I would get it in the water as quick as possible. That's it, right? Yeah. yeah. What happens I mean, to them when yeah. that, when that you know, let's say 30 seconds is out of the water? What happens? Well, your fins, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're very thin. I mean, you could, like a human with frostbite, I mean, you could damage tissue. So, okay. Yeah, well, I think we underestimate the fact that hey, that fish laying on the ice, especially if there's some wind on that, right? Where you you're going to have some real serious tissue damage to that fish. So don't risk it; just put it back in the water. Perfect. Okay, and that's what uh, when this whole getting back to the core, Bryce Lake in particular, where they allowed panfish uh, through the ice, but no walleye. I thought that, that's ridiculous. That is that because because you know there's going to be incidental catches. A lot of them on that lake. Yeah. And, and people are going to want to say, wow, look at my nice walleye. Zero, yeah. And then they plop them in, it's going to die, in yeah. my opinion. But yeah. Yeah. Who, who listens? I mean, to we got to think, we got to think about ethics here, you right? Know, as far as how, you know, how anglers are behaving themselves, right? Right. I mean, I, I'll avoid places to fish based on what the regulations are. And if I'm going to, you know, catch, if I have to catch an release, then I'm, I'm changing my whole thought process about, Oh gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't even want to fish that because that's not my objective today. Or why am I playing with this fish for some purpose of having it at the end of the line and feeling that tug? Right. Um, what's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> you asked right? yourself that, have you? <laughs> so, uh, so oftentimes I'm going, okay, I'm fishing for walleyes. I know I, I'm mentally prepared to, to deal with what I'm going to catch before I even catch something to say, oh, if I'm ice fishing and I catch a big fish and I can't actually keep it on that water body, I'm getting it into the water right away. I'm not, I'm not thinking around with it. I'm not taking a picture. I don't care. I'm just getting it in the water. Just for the sake um, of, yeah. Yeah. W and then I, I'm fishing. I'm, I'm hoping to fish for catch fish that I actually can keep. Would you, um, um, in your perfect world then, would you, because I've often thought about this, assuming that barotrauma through the ice or open water is about the same, I'm going to make that assumption. Maybe as a scientist, you can tell me. Yeah. So barotrauma, whether it's through the ice or open water is, is exactly the same. So would you, would you, in, in a perfect world, if you were managing a walleye fishery through the ice, would you say that you cannot ice fish I don't know, over 30 feet of water. You can only ice fish from 30 to zero. 
Well, it depends. I mean, if you got a if you got regulations where I can keep that fish, I'm going right. to fish wherever. Right. And I'm going to keep that right. fish, knowing right. that yeah. hey, you know, I I don't care. It's going to die. I'm taking it home. I'm eating the fish. <laughs> I'm right. putting it right in the bucket, and and I'm I'm going to spike its head, and I'm going to kill it cleanly. Yeah. And I'm taking it home. Yeah. But if I'm on that water body and I know I you know, that's where the fish are and I can't keep them, then I'm not fishing. So I'm, the, I'm making that determination. I just had a conversation with a buddy that, that lives in Texas. He goes, he had a boat full of people uh, on his boat. They were really getting uh, Mahi Mahi really good. And he goes, guys, we've caught plenty of fish. How many more do you need? Yeah. And taking them home and to actually play with them on the end of the line. How much more do you need? And and that's a challenge for all of us, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm catching fish. I'm I'm really getting a lot of fish. I'm I'm getting a lot of walleye hits. I'm bringing them in. Okay, I I got what I need for the day. I'm just gonna quit fishing. I'm gonna go look for loons or i'm gonna go somewhere else and in change nature change your species right change your species even at that point yeah get, change my species yeah. i might fish for northern pike for example yeah. uh see if i can you know get one or two of those um oh, man, that's a tough one that's a tough one self-discipline <laughs> right that's and a tough more of one us need to think about that because hey fish are limited resources yeah and and well, how are we ethically fishing, right? I mean, we are the referee out on the lake. We judge our own behavior because there's nobody else except the people maybe in your boat or in the ice fish with you, ice house with you. Um, but I think we have to be more conscious of what we're doing. And I think we had this conversation last time yeah. too. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> if we're the referee, we need to have a little self-control on what we're doing out here. So, uh- are you saying, or are you, I don't want to say this wrong. because So Angie and I are out and we're having a heyday on, well, we'll use walleye. We'll use walleye and they're biting good. And we don't even care. We've kept a couple in the box for eating, but now we just want to catch as many as we can. Well, this is a riot. This is the best fishing of our lives. Angie. are we doing damage by doing that and releasing these cats? Well, and you know, depending them? on the water temperature, pretending on the, depending upon the depths again, as we mentioned before. I mean, there's a portion of those fish that are going to die. Um, and that's not good because, hey, it's just going to end up at the bottom of the lake. And uh, that's going to serve the resource nothing. Right. I mean, it's getting recycled. Uh, but did you need to do that? Well, it was fun. Wow. Yeah, I guess you have to determine what the hell you're doing out there, right? Why yeah, are you makes out a, there? Yeah, it makes a good point on the conditions, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the perfect day where, you, you know, these fish, they have their best chance of survival. Maybe not so much, but on a hot day, yeah, maybe. You, yeah. yeah. In the spring, say the water temperatures are fairly cool. I'm using, uh, uh, you know, crankbait or something. I'm catching fish, and I've got pretty good release off of them. I'm not seeing a lot of, you know, um, mortality immediate mortality, then you might feel more comfortable doing that. Yeah. But then you got to, then I always start asking, why am I playing with this fish? Yeah. <laughs> what purpose is this? It's <laughs> is, is, true. I'm playing with somebody else's food. Why am I doing right, this? Right. <laughs> right. And that's exactly what, uh, what we fish for, right? Is that what you're describing is why am I doing this? That's what, 
brings us out on the water. Absolutely. That whatever that is, whatever the answer to your question is, that's what we do. That's why we're out there. You know, we're out there for that moment, that that split second, that hook set, that the fight probably isn't even that big of a deal, but making initial contact with a fish is why we do it. There's something that happens at that moment that's undescribable. And it has nothing yeah, to do with I, consumption. Yeah, I think so, right? but I think, it, I think it's also very addictive. And very, oh, yeah. very much so, oh, yes. Yeah. yes. And, and I think we need to broaden our horizons. And I've done that by grandkids in the boat. And now the experience is totally different. Or bring them into the ice house, right? Now they're now they're just interested, for example, when we're ice fishing. Some of the kids are just interested in watching the camera, right? right. They see a perch. You know, that's their excitement. That's their connection back to nature. It's not having that tug on the end of the line and bringing it in for them. That's not exciting. Often, though, they, they'll want to see the fish, you know, touch the fish. Um, and I think we have to... We have to get away from that addiction <laughs> of that tug on the line and bringing it in and, and that satisfaction of of catching that fish. I'm, I'm going to fish jail because <laughs> I'm a lost cause. Okay, I'm just, that's it for me. I'm you don't, you're not, you, you're I not, cannot you, be converted. You will not be rehabbed. I don't think I can. I mean, you can try and I, I'll, I'll go through the process. I'll try if somebody's going to watch me 24-7, but yeah. I, well, it's... it's <laughs> It's like me deer hunting. I love to kill deer. I mean, because yeah. I eat deer all the time, yeah. right? It's right. like, but how many do I need to kill? Right. And then with deer, it's okay. God, I got to butcher that thing up tonight. Um, but fish, it's easier. So the mm-hmm. addiction of the bloodlust for deer is a little bit offset by the fact that, hey, that killing that deer means work, real work for me. And then I have to find somebody else that wants some deer meat, yeah. you know, right. my extended family. And, yeah, maybe I can do that, and I enjoy doing it. But at the same time, is how much do I need? How much does my family need? And 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 that's I think the challenge of fisheries management. Right, is people want a lot of different things. I want to go out and catch this trophy fish, as, as you had mentioned earlier, and have those experiences. I want to go out to this other kind of lake that you know they're managing for just, you know surplus production, and I'm good keepers for for meals um and how do we make sure in a in a very crowded world that we can pull this off and part of that depends on us as anglers to to be a little bit more self-disciplined in what we're doing out it's, there it's funny because eh? we made that quantum leap years ago in the 60s and 70s where we started actually thinking about conservation and we said well you know, I think if we if we don't keep all the fish that we catch and we release them back into the water, everything is going to be okay. And so then we came, became more prolific at catching them because why? Because we had a lot more practice now because we're catching 20, 30, 50, 100 fish a day. We're kind of cluing in on what the hell's going on out there, right? So we yeah, became yeah. really good at it. And, we're, and when we were challenged by folks on the other side, we'd say, yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're releasing everything. What are you talking about? We're all those fish are back in the water. And now... I'm listening to you and it sounds like we need to kind of rethink this thing and, um, and maybe turn it upside down, keep your four and then go home, keep your fish, keep your four fish or six fish, whatever it is. 
But at the end of that, he called a day. That's what I'm yeah, hearing. It's like the which like, is, it's like Walla. It's like Walla has that optimal forage theory, right? We should be the same way. It's yeah. like oh, let's go out, get our fish. It's you know with the least amount of energy expended, and uh, be happy with that. So it's but you know it's a sport too, right? It's right. right. That's the yeah. fishing's a sport. Um, I I look at my hunting sport. So I'm a bow hunter. You know I I had a, a recurve in the in the '60s. Uh, hunted pom-pom bows when they came out. And then I stopped. I go, oh, I want to shoot with my finger. I don't want these new pom-pom bows. You got to have a release and all this stuff. It's just too much technical stuff. Well, now in Minnesota, you can shoot the uh, crossbow and that's archery. Yeah, yeah here too. Yeah. Uh, here too. And there's yeah, yeah, a strange like, one. No, wait no. a minute. We, we picked up bow and arrow because we wanted a fair chase. Right. And now we're right back to having something as lethal as, as a rifle or a shotgun. Yeah. And yeah. and then we did the same thing with muzzle loader. I got a muzzle loader, it's a you know traditional old thing, but now you got these highly sophisticated muzzle loading guns yeah. that shoot better or as good as a slug rifle yeah. uh, or a slug shotgun or uh, even some of the rifles. And you're going, wait a minute, <laughs> why do we keep falling into this trap? And now with fishing, uh, look at the technology of sonar. Oh, my God. And it's just starting. The Navy has developed all this sonar that we're just, you know, that's starting to creep into the commercial side of things for for regular anglers. Mm -hmm. And 10 years, we're going to have even more advanced sonar. And we're going to go, oh, this is making fishing different. It's probably increasing um, our catch rates. I mean, you look at the kids that are fishing for the high school leagues here in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. You know, the young kids, they're using that technology. Uh, they're very competitive. Um, and they catch a lot of fish. Yep. And, uh, you know, I look at that and go, wow, that's uh, what are we doing here? <laughs> we're making it easier and easier to catch fish. And we're learning more and more about fish, right? We're all studying fish, learning their behaviors. Right. And um, the sport is changed by that. I think that's just natural progression, though, isn't it? Like if you were not to when take you're on, dealing with a living organism. No, I know, not. but just but we're not thinking that. But if you take on golf, for instance, you can yeah. stay crappy if you want. But God, I want to get better at that. I'm going to take right. lessons. I'm going to buy better clubs. I'm going to buy the more. And they're going to videotape my everything we do. I think we try to get better. If you get into a hobby, you know, beyond a hobby, let's say you try to get better at it and better. You want to be really good at it. So I think it's just a natural thing for for a human to do. But, to be honest, but fishing is a regulated sport. Right. Just as baseball is a regulated sport, they change the rules every once in a while. Hey, you know what? We're going to have a clock now that you have to pitch quicker. Right. We're going right. to change the sport. Right. Yep. Um, but the problem with sports as regulated by government agencies is they're too dependent on what the industry or what the most of the anglers want. So you, you, we've got these confounding rules that are hard to understand. Um just look at, look at the rules on, on terminal tackle in Minnesota regulation book. It's a whole page on what defines terminal tackle. Mm. All these different kinds of things. Well, if we were serious about regulating the sports such that we included fair chase, we might have a whole different set of rules, wouldn't we? And how would you set those rules? Right now it's, oh, somebody wants to shoot with a crossbow. Well, the legislator changed the rule and 
pretty soon it's done. And uh, I don't know. Maybe we need to rethink how we regulate the the, the fishing. Is Minnesota is Minnesota one of those states? I know it's in the states only where you can cut a hole in the ice and spear pike. Is that is that? Yeah, you can do that. Dark house spearing. Yep. So what do you think of that one? Like, if that's your whether we're talking on this, like, where do you draw the line? What do you think of that one? Well, I I think it's a great sport. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, nothing of, like a you know what? Hand. It, it's a difference of opinion. Of course. Right? Yeah. Um, our, Some people uh, say, "Hey, they're taking you know trophy pike out when you know it's not you know I'd rather catch them in the summer or whatever, right? Right. right. So them versus us, you know. It's intriguing to watch. I'll tell you that we, I've watched um, some YouTube stuff, and it's crazy watching this. We have a, a, a I have an old friend, and uh, she's been on the program several times, uh, Catherine Maroon. Yep. And uh, she's taken her fishing to a, a whole different level, and that is totally hookless. Now she's a she's a fly fishing dude. <laughs> He's laughing. He laughing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but she what she she's into fly fishing. So for her, it's all about you know making that perfect connection with nature. The and art of getting the- your your fly just to act in a certain way to fool the fish, and then that second that that it works, it all comes together. The explosive you know action, and no harm, no foul. Everybody goes back about their way happy in her this is her you know the way she portrays fishing and um she yeah she's practicing and not only practicing but preaching that as well is this a is this a growing fishing trend you think well 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 she makes it sound there's like one it person is. is doing it i don't she's, know the rest yeah <laughs> i i think there's more of it than we know uh, and fish. it's happening in the fly nowadays, fishing Nowadays, everybody's complaining about the way you're treating things. The poor fish, now you're teasing them with food. They're going to have no. to change their whole, oh, my God, you can't do that. <laughs> no, but the point yeah, is. look at the energy that that, that exactly. trout is expended That's to it. get to that, that fly that has no hook on it. He's waited all day for that strike. He goes, hey, there, he, boom, him, he gives a couple pulls and, yeah. oh, forget yeah. this shit. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> That's it. I'm out. You know, poor guy. Uh, you know what? Uh, Dean is going to be awfully pissed off at us because he had a whole we thing. We got to have a couple more though. Can we go? Have we got time for one or two more? Sure. Let's. Yeah. Why not? So okay, here's one that I have always it's confused me. There's a blanket of snow on the ice. Okay, so it's completely. I'm assuming is it completely dark under the ice, as in close to nighttime kind of visibility. If if you've got a uh, a heavy uh, thick ice with a very um, uh, heavy snow pack on yeah. it. Yeah, it's very dark. Okay, so number one, do walleye, uh, I mean, walleye will be probably be the best predator under that darkness, I'm assuming. Do, yeah. they, do they know the difference between day and night? Or do they have any, like, does it mean anything to them? You know what I mean? I, I think still they'll, they know the difference between day, day and night, especially if it's a clear water system. Right. Well, you know, maybe if it's a dark water system where the water's, you know, bog brown and you've got both thick ice and a heavy snowpack on it maybe it's just dark all the time you know right. it's it could be really bad <laughs> so they don't care what about but you know they've got so sensitive eyes i think they probably detect the difference between night and day still though so that's what i was going to say is there a, uh for our anglers listening here it's so dark under there while i have good eyes is there lure colors, et cetera, that would work better under the ice, under the ice conditions? Does glow, does glow work better? Does uh, rattles work better, et cetera? 
Yeah, I, I think I think both of those probably do better, right? Um, some sound, um, some glow. I mean, it's an, something to attract the, to the walleye's eye, right? To see it um, in those low light conditions, I think still have some value. Boy, yeah. it does. I'm listening to you two guys. It doesn't take long to regress. Eh? We were just talking about this angelic new possible way of connecting with nature with no hooks and you know perfectly naturally placed fly and all this stuff and now like want, in a flash of it he wants to know what color will make him bite my hook for i want, I want Catherine maroon to go out in, in lake winnipeg at 40 below zero with a wind chill factor of even colder and i want her sure. to drop a hookless jig down there and try and see some walleye it's, coming no i don't think nah. ice fishing will ever work without a hook exactly on it. um you said something earlier on, Paul, about the fact that uh, only 20% of the time during the winter period are these walleye apt to actually start eating or foraging or I don't know what, what you would call it. Uh, what determines that? Because we've all, now with cameras, we see fish that are just hunkered down on the bottom and they're just not doing nothing. And sometimes you can drop your favorite color uh, jig and, and right on their nose and they still won't bite. What is determining that 20% for them? Yeah. So they're consuming 20% less than they were in the summer and the winter. And the reason why is it's cold. Uh, their whole metabolism slows down. Right. The digestion of that, of that prey in their stomach slows down. Everything's slowing down so that they, they just, they just don't have the the, the energy. energy to yeah, yeah. To, to do it yeah mm. so they're 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 conserving their energy through the winter they're they're eating but not you know substantially less but they're still consuming and oftentimes that's very you know you know might be at a, an hour before dusk or something and that's it right right um, so really. They're really different behavior compared to in the spring or in the fall. But that hour before <laughs> dusk, Paul, that hour before What's dusk, that? that that hour before dusk, we've seen it many times here in Ontario, at least ice fishing, where they go gangbusters. And maybe even yeah. more than one day in a row, maybe two or three days in a row, or if you follow the pack of fish around, you'll get it every night. So they're not conserving energy at that time. They're going like crazy. You're getting these solid bites. They're fighting hard, et cetera, et cetera. Just, are they saving their energy all day just for that one little bite of that day yeah that's what i think i think they're you know they're they're trying to stay warm right right with uh with winter conditions um where do you think a wall is going to be at at uh one degree celsius water temperature or at four degrees water you know centigrade Mm -hmm. water yeah they're going to be in the warmer water well where's that warm water in the winter well it's right on the bottom in in a deep water lake because the 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 molecular structure of water is its densest at four degrees C. Okay. So that four degrees C water is at the bottom. And if you're a walleye going, I, I'm looking for just warm water, yeah. folks. But, but, I'm going to be in that four C water. You're blowing my mind here because I was taught at a very early age that. By Sister Rosilia? By Mary, Sister Mary Rosilia. Okay. That fish don't feel temperature. It doesn't, they don't know cold from warm to hot to, apparently. Uh, Don't trust a nun on that. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, great answer, Paul. Uh, So, in fact, they do feel the temperature change. Well, I've seen 
on largemouth bass for sure in the fall when the water's in the 50s and even 40s, they will hover towards rocks. And then those right. rocks are absorbing the, the heat right. and they're sitting on that right on that rock, you know, getting that little bit extra. So but I got to change my whole speech on this whole thing now because, I, yeah. because uh, you know, I was always uh, saying that they don't feel the temperature change like we do. Don't worry about a cold a fish, front. Cold fronts are just for sissies because the fish don't feel that. But that cold front's different than water yeah. temperature, right? Go ahead, they're folks. living in that water. They're right. feeling it every all the time yeah. and they're going to seek they're going to seek temperature that best suits them they're going to look for oxygen levels that are that are, are sufficient um and they're going to look for light you know with walleye you know they're going to avoid high light conditions and uh they're going to go to the bottom so yeah those big three things water temperature light and um and oxygen that that depends that determines a lot of cases where a walleye is going to be hmm. I had no idea that water was and, warmer and on the bottom. Forage, yeah. food, right? Food. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, food. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. I assume. Wow, I, that whole thing just blew my mind. Now, I love the fact that it's four degrees or it's a little warmer on the bottom. I had no idea. Dean, did you know that? I didn't know either. See? Oh wow! No either like like holy mackerel. That's three of us because I don't think Ann, right. maybe Ann's new. He said uh, looks like I he knew might. that there there was a warmer band of water down below. So okay. Yeah. But so I, what I did winter, not know. They call, they call it uh, inverse stratification. So the warm right. water's on the bottom in the winter and the cold water's on the top near the ice. Right. But in the summer, it's just the reverse. Right. What I did right. not know was about them feeling a difference in temperature. I did not know that. Yeah, blame, blame the nun. The damn nuns. <laughs> Okay, that or it. We're we're going to be uh, Paul. As usual, we went completely uh, off off offline here, but we'll we'll get. I think it's good info. I think people will. I think next time on, we need to pick up the script and say hello, Paul. Today, I would like to ask you, and then we'll have none of this nonsense about. with the direction that we went, exactly, (laughs) or spear fishing pike. Oh my god! I I apologize for. Getting off track. I, I no, have a tendency no. to do that. We get you off track, Paul. Uh-oh. We just say the questions and you go. That's it. So we're starting it. No problem. Anyways, my friend, thank you very much for joining us once again. Uh, all the best to you. How's the book doing, by the way? It's, it's doing excellent. The, the University of Minnesota Press is very excited how many books they've sold. So How awesome. can folks and get I'm their hands on it? What's how can, that? How can people get their hands on it? How can they buy uh, that? Well, you can... You can go to Amazon. You can you can go to the University of Minnesota Press's website. They've got a secure site. You can go to your local library and borrow a book and read it. Um, yeah, so it's it, out there. It's called A Beautiful Fish of the Dark. Walleye, A Beautiful Fish of the well, Dark. Well, no, I, I wouldn't. I it wasn't going to be sunfish. Well, talking, you might talking want a title, walleye. You know, you could say a uh, beautiful car of the garage, but you say your Camaro, 69 Camaro. You know what uh, I mean? So. That's what I deal with every day, Paul. Every, every day. day. All he wants to do. never get to the end of the questions. That's right. <laughs> That's right, Paul. All he wants to do is dangle his line and play with fish all day long. And Hit him. Uh... Hit him hard. Crack him. <laughs> uh, thank you, my friend. We will talk to you very soon. All the best to you. Thanks, Paul. All right, uh, Paul Radomski. What a wonderful he's great. gentleman. He's I mean, great. Aside from I the love fact his attitude. <laughs> that he's a fisheries biologist, aside from the fact that uh, he's worked in the field most of his life and he's a great author and very articulate in the way he lays it all out. He's just a great guy to talk yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's-
And he gets the whole catch and keep, and then he gets catch and release, you know, because he's a hunter too, so he knows all about harvesting, and and so he sees all sides of it. I was a little surprised at the pike spearing through the ice, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He said it was a great sport. (laughs) So I was too. I thought after we're just talking about all this management and stuff, and we should slow down on things. I guess. Carp and shallows with bow and arrow would probably be okay. He'd probably, yeah, he'd be good with it. I'll yeah. bet you he would. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it doesn't really matter to each his own, as they Of say. course. Yeah. They spear sturgeon through the ice down there. I think no. it's maybe in Wisconsin. Yeah, there's a state where there's an actual sturgeon fishery through no. the ice with spears. There's a number. There's a quota. You have to call in as soon as you get one. It's like our tune out in the, in the East Coast. You have to phone it in and all that. Oh. And they have, and then they, it usually lasts about a day. And they have a quota. I think it's around a day ish or more, not much more. Wow. And they yeah, and there it's a big it's a big thing. I think it's Wisconsin, maybe. I don't know, Dean, do you know that one? You're, you've heard of it. Yeah, I think it is Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Dean's yeah. very quiet in the latter half of the show. He missed because, you last week. You well, know? there is that oh. too, but I think he just doesn't want to put the buttons when uh, Paul's on. I think he's afraid. Oh, yeah, the sound effects. Yeah. You see, when yeah. we get so into this that we don't really even notice the sound effects are gone, but you did, obviously. And, anyways, uh, don't forget that. That's a bunch of bullshit. And what we talked about earlier That's on in the show. That's a bunch of bullshit. That's right. Thank you very much for getting back to normal. Uh, I want to be on behalf of the entire team. I want to thank everybody for joining. By the way, don't forget the contest, fishingcanada.com. Come on now. Woo! And uh, anything else that you can hook up. Uh, uh, how about our new episodes that are uh, rolling out as we speak on YouTube and on television? So, you know, I mean, we got, uh, and it's looking good. I, I, I love the new show. Oh, my God. Love looking the really show. good. Uh, that are it, folks. On behalf of the entire team, uh, Peter Bowman, uh, Voba over there, the man behind the wonderful visual aspect of this. And look at this, Nikki V. Give me a hell yeah. Hell, hell yeah. yeah. Come on now. Uh, back from vacation. Oh, uh, and, of course, Dean Thompson, who was very quiet in the latter half of the show. Come on, that's now. Okay. Dean Thompson, you call him. Thompson. That's Thompson buddy, doesn't matter. Dean Thompson. That's How Dean is Tom- Dean? Dean's doing good. I haven't talked to him. I love it. I'll him. tell you a Dean story after this is over. Because right. it's, 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 yeah. it's just incriminating a little bit to Dean. Yeah, it's a bunch of bullshit. You'll like it. You'll like it. <laughs> Dean Taylor. I'm Ace Mobile. Thanks, folks. We'll catch you next time.